Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Human Challenge, where we explore all the human challenges in today's world, the challenges of being human, and how we can challenge ourselves to be more human for the greater good. I'm your host, Vanessa Ferlano, and we have a very busy episode today focused on accessibility. Very excited to be joined by Leanne River, CEO and founder of Second Skin Society, Jolene McDonald, founder of Accessibrand. Erica Cole, founder CEO of No Limits, an adaptive apparel brand, and Julie Sawchuk, accessibility strategist of Sawchuk Accessible Solutions. Thank you all so much for being here today. Really grateful for all your time. Thank you, Thanks, Vanessa. Yeah, thank you. I know we have a big, a lot of us here today, so I feel like there's going to be a lot of let's pause and wait before I I, I take over conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I'm really excited for this conversation. And, and um, yeah, I think this all came together because I, I knew Leanne from, you know, other other past lives. Um, and, you know, I think for myself, um, I actually, I do respite work on the side. I work with a woman who's hard of hearing and hard of seeing. And she's one of the most fun people that I could ever hang around with. Uh, we go to the movies and uh, we cook and we do all these fun things. And so, you know, I think being around her all the time made me realize um, you know, how I think there's a lot kind of missing from an accessibility perspective. You know, I, I witnessed just, you know, little things where we sit in the movies, how those things make such a difference. I witnessed even all the tools and technology she has to use, um, you know, just to, to read a book. And, and you know, so I, I think it's been a very, very humbling experience. Um, and even, you know, she teaches me so much about me. She's so like gentle. She's so easygoing. And I have so much fun with her. And, and there are moments where I'm like, oh, one day I was late to pick her up for something. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so late. And then I'd forgotten my credit card because I was all frazzled. And she was just so at peace. She's like, that's okay. We'll just go for a ride. And I just thought it was just, and I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, why am I worried about this right now? Like, why am I so stressed? You know? <laughs> so, she's just she's just wonderful to be around so I'm very excited to welcome all of you guys to this to this discussion um maybe you can tell us a little bit uh you know I'd love to kind of hear what does accessibility really do for people you know why is it important I just kind of shared a bit of a personal story um but you know each of you have very different um experiences with accessibility and, and even looking at this from a quote-unquote like industry right so what does what does accessibility actually do for people I will jump in there. Um, it's Julie. I sustained a spinal cord injury in 2015, and that flipped my world upside down. Um, I became a member of the world's largest minority community, and that's people with disabilities. And prior to that, um, I had no idea what it was like to live with a disability in a world that was not built with accessibility in mind, whether you're looking at physical infrastructure, digital accessibility, like all of the things that we are here talking about today, if they are done from the perspective of serving the needs of people with disabilities and, and not building barriers, um, it means that we, people with disabilities, can participate and, and preserve energy in that participation. Um, my, my biggest aha moment came when I moved from my 115-year-old farmhouse that we had made to work um, for me as a wheelchair user to my completely wheelchair accessible home that we built brand new. And I physically felt better. I mentally felt better. Um, I was less, I was less exhausted all of the time. And what I realized was it was I was fighting 
against my house all the time, everything I did. And then I didn't have to fight like that anymore living here. And it, it, it meant that I could spend time with my kids. I started a business. Like all of these things happened because of living in an accessible, built for me environment. Right. And um, was that in, how challenging was that to do like a whole accessibility build for your, for a new home, you know, because I find, like I said, when I work with this woman, like just to get access to one tool can sometimes just take like months and months and months, like just a reader light, you know what I mean? Like it's not easy. So I'm curious what that experience was for you. Yeah. It took us two and a half years to figure out how to build an accessible home because there was nobody that really knew how to do that in, in this area. I live in Southwestern Ontario and um, there were no resources, there were no experts. And so literally because of that experience, I started my business because I didn't want others to have to jump through all of the hoops and do all of the research. And like I visited other people's houses and cooked in their kitchens and, you know, to try and figure out what was going to work because they're, I mean, there is no one size fits all for accessibility, um, but there also was no information. So it took us a long time. I think we went to um, 42 different house plans that before we settled on the one that was going to work for us. So it's a lot of work. Um, and it was not easy. Yeah. No kidding. Um, I'm curious. I know, Jolene, I know that you're in the digital accessibility space. And so I'm curious, um, you know, this this question of what accessibility does for people. Um, I wonder if there's a perspective that you can offer there from the kind of digital accessibility perspective. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, a lot of it came down to having personal experience for me. Um, it wasn't me at first. It was my youngest daughter was born with a rare form of dwarfism. So when she started you know, going to school, I was advocating for her physical needs. That's where it starts for everybody. And then realizing how quickly accessibility is not inclusion and where the barriers are for kids and, you know, being included. And then I have been a graphic designer for over 20 years and working with not-for-profits. One day I was like, somebody said to me, said, do you know that people with disabilities can't access digital media? I'm like, what? You, I mean, I've been doing this for this long and I didn't know like color contrast, you know, types of fonts, the way websites are developed, brochures, people who are blind, they use assistive technology. They cannot read that PDF unless you've made it accessible. Um, someone who is deafblind will use a braille display and, and they can't use a PDF. So there's all of these things. But what it came down to for me is that if we change how we work in the beginning, it's not about just plopping on those band-aids like Julie was saying you know with with trying to make a house accessible trying to just add a lift to something that's you know old it doesn't necessarily work they, there's lots of great band-aids but um, if you can change your thinking it, it's just another parameter in your project and it's not that difficult to add on yes it takes time but um, that's really how it started for me and now we try and train other creatives and marketers which wasn't something I came out to do but the more we can all work together, the more we're going to have a more inclusive society and less barriers. We look at statistically people with disabilities are the most underemployed. Well, if we Mm -hmm. just change a little bit of our thinking and loosened up as employers and become the examples, and I think we can change that. And then oddly enough, I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos about six years ago after four and a half years of struggling with chronic pain fatigue. And so yeah, now I'm in the same sort of scenario as, as my kid. And 
And so all of my team have disabilities, different disabilities, and they all work from home. So, you know, we're, we're trying to become that example. If you live it, you breathe it, you can be it. Um, and what about, what about you, Erica? Cause you have your, um, adaptive apparel brand. And so again, you know, a whole nother perspective of what accessibility does for, for people. Absolutely. I, Jillian, I love, uh, accessibility is not inclusion. I think that's really the root of where we kind of started. So I am an amputee, very, very similar story to Julie. I suddenly lost my leg in an accident in 2018, um, and experienced the night and day I was able-bodied and then I wasn't and like navigating those challenges. Um, clothing was one of the things that I struggled with the most because it was like the first thing that I was doing when I woke up in the morning is like trying to get dressed. And when it set the tone on like, I am struggling the moment I get out of bed was like just a really terrible experience. And it was one that I could solve. I had like sewing experience. And so I started altering and then long story short, it snowballed into um, a startup um, and accessibility for us is part of, we only do accessible clothing um, and again, to what Jolene was saying is like, we built it from the ground up accessible. Like I started in alterations and making these band-aid solutions to people who were coming to me and it was just me on a sewing machine. And I was like, some of these things need to be built in from the beginning, um, in a ready to wear product. Cause alterations was also not the most accessible form of apparel. Um, so then we built in as we kind of started working in our mission statement in the apparel space, we view um, a clothing as, as having three kind of core pillars of benefits. One is it's an opportunity for self-expression that people with disabilities haven't been afforded because clothing isn't inherently accessible. So your clothes are the first thing that tells somebody else who you are without you saying anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, folks were forced to wear, I was forced to wear sweatpants because nothing else would fit over my prosthetic. That wasn't who I wanted to tell people that I was, but I, I couldn't wear anything else. So there's self-expression. The second tenant for us is reducing barriers, barriers to participation. So there's a survey a few years ago about um, disabled people in winter, winter sports, and over half of them cited appropriate outerwear as a barrier to participation in winter sports. So we view appropriate clothing as reducing barriers to participation. And then the third thing it does, which is, I think, kind of unique in our space, is we're actually doing research with the University of Missouri to show that adaptive clothing can improve long-term health outcomes in folks with disabilities. If someone is able to independently change their clothing, if someone is able to independently use the restroom, if we're, we're incorporating a lot of antibacterial, antimicrobial treatments. Um, so if we're able to reduce risk of infection through that, if we're able to improve quality of life scores, if we're able to have somebody reduce a risk, a risk of falls because our clothing is easier to manipulate, all of those things are contributing to better long-term health outcomes where that's like very different than the traditional apparel industry, right? So that's how we're measuring um, kind of improvements in accessibility specifically in our, our apparel clothing space. Hmm. That's yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Um, I, I think that when I think of 
or thought of accessibility, I mean, this is probably very ignorant of me, but I actually never really thought of like, like clothing. Do you know what I mean? And so like, I'm very grateful for this perspective for that reason, because it's kind of made me look at myself and go, wow, like there's a lot of things I just never really considered. Um, and I can imagine, like, I'm sure I'm, I'm not the only one when we look at this from a societal perspective. Um, and then maybe Leanne as well, same for you. I know that you're more in the fitness space, which I think is very exciting. Um, so maybe you can, again, uh, share a little bit more about what accessibility does for people from the perspective of health and fitness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I have so many things to say. And I think, like, just piggybacking off of what everyone else is saying, you know, accessibility should really be the first thing that people are thinking about when they're building products and services. And um, the more that we can, as people with disabilities or people without disabilities, I'm someone that doesn't have a disability. And here I am in this space. My my story really is because I shifted to the virtual space through the pandemic. And over the course of a couple of years of spending time building our, our community in that space, I got the most recurring feedback I received from our members was the fact that they loved that we offered seated class options. And my previous background, I, I did spend um, over 20 years supporting people with disabilities in a variety of capacities. So that's exactly where that kind of entrepreneur aha moment was for me. But what it really gave me was just like the awareness of the fact that I had not thought about the community of people with disabilities and all the different segments and intersectionalities within that community in my own products and services. And so, I mean, when you talk about better health outcomes, of course, everyone needs access to tools and solutions that are going to help support their own uh, mental, physical, emotional health and well-being. Um, there isn't much out there and certainly not much out there or, or anything at all that I have seen that really is about bringing people with and without disabilities together. Uh, so that's really what our solution is meant for, is to provide a tool where people can work out uh, with partners or with their social circles um, that include people with disabilities and people without disabilities. Um I also think that for me, you know, there's, I, I obviously have a passion for the health and fitness space, but it's also a space that needs to change. That space really um, has a large part to play in the value that is placed on bodies um, and really significantly negatively uh, valuing bodies for in a really negative perspective. Um, as someone without a disability, I've experienced that throughout my life. And so I've wanted to change that from the get-go. Now, even more moving into this direction and really understanding like there's an opportunity for us to um, provide a great, great tool, provide a great service for people, for anyone to be able to use to access health and fitness in a way that works for them, but also to shift a lot of perceptions, um, shift the way that we think about value that's placed on bodies through that industry shift the way society thinks at, and shift the perception society has on what people with disabilities can and cannot do. Um, so there's a lot of like intention that's built into all of the different aspects of our solution so that we can get people to think, I mean, Erica, I know you'll be able to speak to this too. We're right now actively fundraising. A lot of those conversations include education, and awareness mm. because there is such a lack of awareness about this community, um, about even the size of the community, even though we can say, yes, you know, the statistics are this, there's still like this 
this disconnect between people with disabilities and people without disabilities. If you don't have that social circle where you mm-hmm. have those experiences and, and Vanessa, I know you're gaining those experiences when you don't have those um, when you, when you look around your world, you're really looking at, you know, and a world that is extremely exclusive, exclusive. Um, so we're all kind of talking about how we can, create better spaces digitally, uh, environmentally, in the fashion industry, in the health and fitness industry. And we need it across the board. We need more and more people, people with disabilities and people without disabilities stepping up and going, hey, you know, what else can we be doing to provide better access for people so that they can live and enjoy every aspect of life, uh, which we all deserve. Vanessa, I just want to for those that are not watching this podcast, the head nodding that is happening around the table here is like the whole time Leanne is talking. We're all nodding our heads in total 100% agreement with with what she's saying. Yeah, I mean, um, I appreciate that. And and yeah, even myself, like just taking this in and reflecting on my experiences with this woman, like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's to me, it just feels um, completely overlooked. Um, and so, you know, when I hear a lot of your stories and then what you're offering into the space, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I, I see the value, I see the benefit. Um, I'm curious, you know, um, you were talking about fundraising, uh, you know, I, I've spent 10 years in, in tech and, and I know that space very well, uh, but I'm curious, you know, I want to ask what are some of the challenges, but I don't want that to be specific to like starting a business. What I mean is like, you know, for example, again, when I reflect on my time working with this 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 individual, um, you know, trying to access a lot of those tools, like I mentioned earlier, they're expensive. Trying to get like funding for that, some of it's government funded, some of it's not. Um, and then even when it is government funded, it feels like it's coming from like five different sources, and then having to kind of uh, track all that properly. Um, you know, I'm curious. Do I think my question maybe is more, you know, do those do those aspects of funding also affect you all who have your own organizations, um, you know, as you're sort of looking for your own resources to build out um, all of your own solutions and products? The, the just biggest, thing, or, the sorry, biggest thing that people say, the very first thing they say is how much is it going to cost, right? And it's this fear mm-hmm. of not doing it right and not being able to afford it. And and those two fears are the things that I come up against the most in the client work that I do and helping people make their spaces more accessible is they're afraid of doing it wrong and they're afraid of how much it's mm-hmm. going to cost. And therefore they sometimes do nothing. And Jolene, maybe you can build on that. <laughs> you almost took the words right out of my <laughs> mouth. Uh, I think for almost anything to do with accessibility or disability, it all comes down to money for a lot of things. I mean, if you think about the the social medical model of just disability in general, we're the most undervalued, the most underemployed, uh, the most living in poverty. And then if you add intersectionality to that of race, gender and sexuality on top of disability, it's by far even worse. Then you, you know, I am self-employed. I have been before I was having issues with my health, but it's now become I'm self-employed because of my disability. I cannot with my children. uh, So not only does my youngest have dwarfism, my son has ADHD. Um, I, you know, there's all of those appointments and things I have to take care of. Plus myself, it's a lot of it comes down to money. But when you come into the business side, 
um, you know, businesses across North America in particular, we'll just talk about those in the US, it's much bigger with lawsuits and litigation. In Canada, we have some things like there's lots of laws, but the lawsuits are not flying like they're in the US. It's the same thing. Well, I haven't budgeted for accessibility. Well, you legally are mandated to do this. But then they just go, oh, again, afraid to do it wrong, especially because if they don't have any disability experience, it's the it's the fear mm-hmm. of the unknown, the fear of insulting someone, I think. And it's just like, okay, we're going to hold your hand, but it's better to do something than nothing. Like we, we have to start somewhere. These businesses have to do something. Um, so the biggest thing we can say is reach out to the disability community. We our disabilities are our degrees. There are diplomas. You should be paying us for that experience to figure out how to improve your business, your space. Um, we're the ones that know better than anybody else. So I think that's that's one of the pieces that we find the most. It's all in or all out. There's not a lot of in between, which is silly at the end of the day. Right. And um, I'm curious, sorry, Leanne, I, I just, I wanted to ask, you know, when you are met with this comments of, you know, how much is this going to cost, um, you know, and I'm afraid of doing it wrong. How, how do you, I guess, like reposition that, you know, like how much is this going to cost? I'm afraid it's going to cost too much. How do you kind of navigate that? You know, cause I'm assuming there's going to be, you know, how do you show the value of that? Right. It's kind of like, what's the cost, but what's the value? So I'm curious, I'm just curious about that how you reposition that, that fear. In, in the built environment space, looking at like physical infrastructure, especially starting from the get-go, right? Baking it in actually doesn't increase the cost of the infrastructure. Um, There's lots of research that shows like building a a brand new, um, say, you know, multi-unit residential tower kind of thing. The, The cost increase for making the space is actually accessible, like truly accessible, not just to code accessible, but to best practices accessible, um, increase the cost between one and 5%. So to serve another, to, you know, to serve a portion of the population that could be 25% of the population, and you're only increasing your cost by between one and 5%, um, why wouldn't you do that? I, it's a right. no brainer to me, but baking it in from the very beginning um makes that possible when when you're doing those band-aid solutions that after the fact or the you know the old infrastructure we've got lots of you know old infrastructure in all these little towns around the world um and that is more challenging but it's not impossible and it's just like like julian said starting somewhere and choosing one thing like signage for example right everybody needs to have signage in their physical spaces directing people where to go, where the washrooms are, you know, signs for price tags, all of those kinds of things, they all have to be done anyways. So why not do them in a way that makes them accessible for everybody? Simple stuff. Yeah, a lot mm-hmm. of signs take up the same amount of space to add, you know, text, color, and an icon to make them accessible versus not or adding Braille, you know, on top of that. Like, it, it's really when you sit in when you sit in the space and you look at things and you try and show clients or organizations that it's really going to cost you more at the end of the day 
you know, even in our industry, it is, you know, there is more time added. It, I'm not going to lie. It's probably more expensive than digital accessibility space, but you're going to save more money and you're going to attract more potential. Yes. Um, you yeah. wouldn't build the building without having the accessible pieces built in, knowing that people are not going to be able to peruse your business. Well, why would you want someone to come shop on your website and not be able to do it because of something simple you could have added in in the beginning. And now you're scrambling. Uh, it just doesn't look great for you. It, it's, it's, there's only benefits to it at the end of the day. And accessibility is not just for disabilities. It's people with English as a second language in the physical world. It's, it's parents with strollers. Like it's really twofold. Right. And when you, when you right, turn right. somebody away because of a lack of accessibility, they're likely not going to come back. So you've lost yeah. that you know, potential client or customer for, for life. Right. And on the flip right. side of that, like we've seen customers that are able to have an accessible experience, be extremely loyal when that's a good experience. Yes, exactly. um, so you can have, you know, a customer with a really high LTV. I think that's another thing in this space that's evolving is, up until recently, I think people were really shy about talking about the the monetary financial value of customers with disabilities. I think it was primarily a discussion around the humanitarian, oh, this is what we should do because it's the right thing. It's okay to talk about the financial value of a customer with a disability. Like, um, and that's the the way when you're talking about reframing, um, a lot of the conversations that I'm having are very rooted in what is the financial benefit of serving these customers? Because it's the only way that I'm going to get in the door yeah. to a lot of these places and make real change. And of course, at, at the heart of it, like I, I know I'm, I'm doing this because I believe it should be a thing, um, but the most... Uh, sustainable version of accessibility is the most profitable one, to be honest. Yeah. I think the point is like that the conversations need to happen and they're not happening because people are afraid of saying the wrong thing and then being judged for it. So, I mean, there's all kinds of different terminology out there. And when you have the opportunity to say, Hey, does, do you prefer that I refer to you as someone with a disability or obviously like your name first, but in terms of, you know, speaking to other people or is it differently abled? Is it able-bodied? Is it, you know, there's all kinds of different terminology out there and it continuously changes and evolves, which is a good thing, but people are so afraid of saying the wrong thing or saying like last year's term that they just disconnect from it altogether. And that's, that's the biggest problem is that those conversations aren't happening. I think the other big problem that I see from my perspective is that people think and businesses think, well, I don't need to make my services or my products accessible, or I don't need to make my building accessible, or I don't need to make my marketing accessible because the community of people with disabilities aren't my car my target customer. And so until they come to me and say, for instance, we talked about employment. 
until someone with a disability comes and says, hey, I'd love to apply for the job, but the job posting isn't accessible, they think that they don't need to change it. And it's such backwards thinking in that if we would start to look around all of the spaces that we enter virtually and in person and you know through digital marketing and, and all these different pieces and go, hey, who are we not serving from you know our product and service perspective and how can we create the space so that they understand that they're welcome here and they belong here they're welcome to apply for this position and we will you know make sure it's accessible we'll accommodate to whatever they need um we need to be thinking about it from that perspective and creating those spaces so that people with disabilities will show up and apply for the job so that they'll show up and shop at the store so that they'll show up and shop at the websites i um i did a pitch competition a couple of of months ago uh, we're, we had an opportunity to be in front of about 500 people in a gala and, and pitch the business. And it was a, a great, you know, opportunity, but I was up there, I had a 60 minute pitch and I'm looking around this room and I'm talking about how large the population of people with disabilities is. And we're in a building that's completely accessible, great, you know, accessible washrooms, um, lots of different pieces were in place there, but not one single person around the room that I could see had a visible disability. And so after the fact, I had the opportunity to speak with the organizers and say, hey, you know what? I noticed that in your marketing material, you didn't have any alt text for your images, you know, any image description. You didn't actually talk about the fact that the building was accessible. That's a great opportunity to say, hey, we've thought about you and we created that space for you. Um, and I know that this organization specifically really, truly does care about creating inclusion. So it was a great opportunity to say, hey, if next time you're organizing this, talk about how the building is accessible. Have someone there that can, um, you know, interpret with American Sign Language if that's an option. Um, you know, talk about the different things that you have thought about and put into place and watch and see how many people with disabilities show up to the gala next time to hear and be part of something like this. Like businesses and people need to shift their thinking from, well, when they come, I will change to, I'm going to create the space proactively first and then watch for them to come. I, I think that's just another like ROI conversation um, that I personally have with people is like, you can't judge if that is your customer or not because you haven't given them the opportunity to be your customer. Who you is that missing? Yep. <laughs> Who is missing? Yep. Right. Yeah, I, uh, I really appreciate that perspective a lot. I'm, I'm really allowing those words to just kind of settle um, because there is something specific that you said that just caught my attention Um Unfortunately, I can't remember what it is, <laughs> but I think there's just so much in it that was so great. And then there was one sentence that made me go, oh, but then you kept saying more great things. <laughs> and now there's just all this greatness. So I'm just going to appreciate all of the greatness for his greatness. <laughs> That's it. <And> it's Monday. <laughs> um, no, I appreciate that perspective a lot. And I think it's a very... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, I appreciate it because I mean, you can take that perspective into many other industries, many other scenarios, many other situations. Um, and I think, yeah, the idea of just being proactive about it and, and looking at it from, you know, what space am I creating here? Um, and I think that's a really, really, really important one because we just, we just don't, you know, we just don't think about it. Um, and also about bringing the right people into the room, um, I think is a very important one. It reminds me a lot about, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion discussions, you know, it's, it's, you want to have these discussions, but who's present, you know, <laughs> and, and it's oh like, my I goodness. Mean, 
<laughs> it's like, like I'm grateful, you know, for, for, you know, our Caucasian community who want to be supportive, but are we tackling the right problems if we're not bringing in the right voices, if we're not creating space for those voices to be heard, to express themselves in a way that is safe, right? Where there's no repercussions for expressing themselves um, to allow people to feel comfortable, right? Um, and so I think that that's, that's very much what I, I hear too. And even when I work with, with my friend, I always, I always feel weird, you know, saying, oh, I do respite work because to me, she's actually a friend, you know? Like I, I enjoy going to see her. I enjoy hanging out with her. Like it's not even like I'm going to work with her. I'm like going to hang out with her, you know, because it's fun. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I see that a lot too sometimes when I observe, you know, Sometimes I feel that she's always trying to figure out if I'm like comfortable here, you know, am I, am I allowed to feel comfortable here sometimes? And, and, you know, but like very observant too, right. From, from, from her perspective. Um, and so, but I appreciate that perspective, right. That idea of, are we creating a space, a safe space here for people to feel comfortable, to be themselves, to say what needs to be said. Right. So I don't know, Leanne, you kind of yeah. laughed when I mentioned DEI. I don't know if you sounded like maybe you had something you wanted to add to this. Right. <laughs> I was going to say that um, the you know how I met Erica and Julie was actually because uh, I spent quite a bit of time this year actually reaching out to people that are working in the disability space in some way so that I could learn because I knew that I was working on building a team myself with my organization and I was thinking about what are other people doing in their kind of uh, respective industries when it comes to accessibility or when it comes to, to serving this population so that I can learn and kind of integrate for my own team. And the reason I mention it is because through, you know, meeting these two great people, but I also had probably 30 different meetings over six months or so with people that wore that kind of DEI hat uh, in their organization. So they were in that role of like really strategizing for the organization's DEI, you know, goals for the next few years. Um, about 30 conversations and not one of those people in those roles mentioned disability, not one. Right. So even when you think about like that, that is their role in the organization is to set goals for how they can be more inclusive. And they're all thinking about, you know, all of the other ways to be inclusive, but disability is so far down on the list. It's not being thought of. Um, it, it was really eye-opening to have that many conversations with people because I really let them kind of say what their role was, what their organization did, like what their goals were before I talked about who I was. Um, and then of course, when I was kind of bringing in that, Hey, what about this group of people, um, from a non-judgmental space, but it was very eye-opening to, to me to be like, what are we doing as a society when we're talking about, and many, many corporations are really, you know, strategizing how they can be more inclusive, which is absolutely fantastic. But still, why are people with disabilities last on the list? Like, how can we really change our awareness as a society so that they aren't, so that they're included in the same way that race is included? Like, We've shifted so many things when it comes to race and gender and sexual orientation, all these different things that we're really taking into consideration, but somehow people with disabilities are still last on the list. And um, yeah, I just, that's, that's what it struck when you started talking about DEI, because I was just like, oh, it is such an afterthought still. Um, there's some great things happening 
that is so exciting to see. We can see corporations, you know, starting to shift and starting to think about um, making more accessible products and services, making sure that they have appropriate disability representation in their marketing materials and all of those things. Like we can start to see that shift, which is fantastic, but oh, there is so much to do. There's so, there's, we have a very long way to go for sure. Right. And, and, you know, what I hear in that is, um, you know, how we should be thinking about accessibility, how we can make a difference as individuals. And, and I kind of hear that in, in your in your uh, experience about, um, you know, changing our perspective, right? And so I want to offer that question to everybody else here too. You know, how else should we be thinking about accessibility? How can we be making a difference as individuals when we're looking at just kind of navigating in our daily lives? The first oh. thing that, sorry, Julian, the first thing that always yeah. comes to my mind is bathrooms. Like from a physical infrastructure mm-hmm. piece, if you can't pee, you can't stay. So if accessibility is not built into your bathroom, then whoever you're trying to get into your building, um, they're, they're not, they're not going to come or they're not going to be able to stay and participate. And so taking a a deep dive and looking at how accessible your infrastructure is in your bathroom is um, essential for employees, for customers, for, for clients. That's, it's gotta be the number one most important space. I think it's, it's not a, a nice to have accessibility is a need to have. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And again, a lot of people don't know until they've experienced it. I was one of those people had no clue didn't work that way, didn't think about working differently. I ran a business before. I would fret over my staff being late. I would, you know, feel guilty for taking time off. And then I already had two kids before my youngest was born. I still didn't work like that. And then it was just so appalling to me from a human rights perspective about how archaic some of the practices are, even within the school board, and then seeing that brought to life in my industry and that it's not being even mandated from the Ministry of Education to be taught in the system that it's a problem. And then they're like, oh, I'll just do that because it's nice to do for people with disabilities. No, like it's not a nice to have. It's you need to do this. And it's not that complicated to really change it. We, we learn and adapt and change to society, to life every day. We did that with COVID. Um, you know, doesn't mean we can't do that as like for me as a graphic designer, you think about color and font and grid and imagery and white space for accessibility. When you're doing the work, it's going to be done at the end. It's not going to be, Oh, I forgot all about that. I'll just make the PDF accessible. I'll just add this plugin overlay to a website those plugins actually cause people who are blind more issues. So like these are, again, band-aids are here. We know that we can't all, you know, fix something that's, you know, we have an analogy internally, the deck is broken. You know, it's going to cost $10,000. You don't have $10,000 right now, but you're going to plan to fix it later, but you can still patch it for now. So yeah, we're going to have some band-aids, but while you're doing that, you'll have to think, about the whole long-term strategy. So again, it's not a need or it's not a, a nice to have, it's a need to have. It doesn't matter if it's physical or if it's digital or, you know, clothing for Eric to my daughter has dwarfism. She's 12. She doesn't want to look like she's four. 
And, you know, we're stuck with the same thing. Like Leanne was talking about the, the societal model about body image and, you know, I, I don't so. Um, so if we had more inclusive thinking, more empathy, and not just thinking that people with disabilities are, you know, it's, you have to be pitiful, like, oh my goodness, forget it. The most powerful people I've met have disabilities. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just the same as anybody else. We just work differently. I think one thing that we're trying to incorporate and I'm trying to do better at is like everybody that I meet every time we schedule a meeting, every time we have an event, asking specifically, um, no matter whether I know they have a disability or not, like what accommodations do you need to participate in this? Um, Because not all disabilities are visible. Um, and it's usually really simple stuff. And then it feels less like if we're only asking that when we can tell someone has a disability, um, it makes folks feel singled out and othered. So asking every single person, what accommodations do you need to participate and letting them feel comfortable asking for accommodations, assume asking it as if you're assuming that they're going to need one, um, and going into to it with that mentality um, is something we're trying to incorporate into every conversation. And um, it's made people feel much more welcome at the events and, and meetings that we're, we're attending. It's not hard to add in that extra line. Do you require accommodations? It's literally such an easy thing. And people say yes, or they say no. Yeah. I think like it just makes me think about, again, us stepping outside of ourselves for a minute because that's, we we all live in our own bubbles. Like we all live life through our own experiences. And so until more people step outside of their own experiences and start to look at how other people experience the world, um, you know, we won't start asking those things. And it really is about like, uh, one of our core values is that everyone is looked for, not just seen. Everyone is asked, not just heard. And everyone is valued, not just understood. Because there's a difference between, you know, saying that you'll show up and listen and asking someone, right? Like, we're all kind of talking about the same thing. But it really is about getting outside of ourselves and going, hey, what do you need so that you can have access to all of the things to make your life meaningful in the exact same way that I can and that I do because we both deserve the same things. It's a lot of needing to have more of these conversations at like across every industry and you know even just with people in everyday life if we can you know really giving different perspectives or like if, even if you're talking with someone and, and you may not know that they have a disability, to just create and open up the space where you start asking questions makes it so much easier for when you are speaking with someone with a disability to do the same thing, where it's not, um, I think, as Erica said, like you're not othering someone. You're just opening up spaces where people can just be who they are and be accepted and valued for who they are. And have access to every single thing, like whatever it is that they want. And, and no, I, think, I, um, I appreciate that. Sorry. A, a key part of that is the listening piece, right? Leanne, like 
actually listening to the feedback, the, the answers to those questions so that you can show up in a way that's not defensive, like previous conversation just a couple of weeks ago about a scent-free environment and, and the response um, that I got was, well, our employees don't wear scents. And I'm thinking, but it's not true. Like people are wearing deodorant or face lotion or whatever, right? Like you might not be spraying perfume on you before you go to work, but are you really thinking about, and, and just like lowering your defenses and, and, and letting that information sort of sink in before you go, oh yeah, but we do that. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I I think I appreciate that a lot. Um, Okay, I literally have a minute, Leanne. So I, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you thirty seconds of that. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're good. We're good. We got it. Are you I sure? In this plan of accessibility. Okay. I, I obviously I, love talking about this stuff. No, I'm, I'm happy to bring you guys back as well. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think it's a great discussion. It's very eye opening, and I think this, this piece of, um, oh, like stepping outside ourselves. I think is crucial, um, you know, especially again, looking at it from a society perspective. Like I love, I love that dialogue. You know, how do we step outside ourselves? How do we truthfully listen here, put defenses down? I mean, you see that all the time everywhere. And I personally find it very frustrating because we can't move forward until we can do those things, until we can step outside ourselves, sort of sit in this layer of softness and just kind of, you know, figure how we can work together. So I really appreciate those closing messages. Um, I want to thank all of you for being here today. Happy to bring you guys back on again, because um, yeah, I mean, I think these are important conversations, important topics. Um, So thank you. Thank you very much. Very grateful. And we will leave links and everything uh, to all of the work that all of you guys are doing. We will leave it in the description as well. So thank you so much for being here, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Vanessa. Thank you. Thank you for having us.